The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 18. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week on Insight Sunday we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. Welcome to Thrive Thursday with Dr. Yishai. This week, I had Rachel Critch, founder of planet for You, on the business couch with me. On Insight Sunday, Rachel shared how she discovered a gap in the market, combined it with her passion, how she overcame perfectionism to build her business, pinpointing the value in her business worth paying a premium for, and more. On Story Tuesday, Rachel shared her experiences that taught her about the challenges and objections that her clients have, developing her core supports, and pinpointing the most important process to optimize and develop for her business to be successful. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to episodes 16 and 17. Today, I'm talking about your Achilles heel, the weakness that takes you down as an entrepreneur and business leader. There are few, if any, business leaders and entrepreneurs who are not affected by it. I'll show you what it is, why it happens, how to handle it better, and what makes it so widespread. You'll learn to identify the patterns, challenges, and the downfalls that land you in trouble. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching. If you lead a six or seven plus figure business and experience a drag or dip in your growth, if you notice diminishing engagement or passion in your business, if you want to eliminate exhaustion and burnout in yourself or your teams, If you sense that you or your company would grow faster and stronger, if you could just pivot efficiently and effectively when circumstances change, like they have so much in 2020, then you've got an adaptability problem. Adaptability coaching will give you and your business the psychology and neuroscience-based tools to understand and leverage core adaptability skills through the unique 3D adaptation framework. You can learn to harness and leverage core adaptability skills to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to turn tough circumstances, reactions, and exhaustion into energy, excitement, and excellence for you and your company. 
To learn more, go to dryishai.com slash coaching. Now, without further ado, let's talk about your Achilles heel. My phone is usually on silent, so when I pick it up and happen to see the incoming call with her name, I am doubly surprised. First, because I actually picked up a call. And second, because I figured there is no way I'd be dealing with a crisis. So here I am, neck deep in a crisis. Yishai, her voice kind of wavers and trails off ominously. I take a beat and I breathe so that I can make sure I'm coming from a place of curiosity and not concern. What's up? Yishai, I don't know what to do. Okay, what's going on? And then comes the flood. First, the details, the disaster scenario. Then the reactions, the stress, the frustration, disappointment, fear, and topped off with a heaping pile of overwhelm. Finally, the kicker. Yishai, what do I do? Look, I see how tough a position you're in, but you know I don't have the solution. That's the bad news. You do have the solution, or you will. That's the good news. Nobody else has the answer you're looking for. And then we get to work. This is the work I do all the time, and I see patterns as clear as day. So today, I'm talking about the patterns, the challenges, and the downfalls that land on my doorstep. You see, there are two kinds of people who reach out to work with me. The first group is people who show up because they understand their challenges, or they understand how many of their challenges are in the blind spots they don't see themselves, and they're proactively working on them. The second group is people who've become stuck or are struggling hard, often in the middle of something really difficult, and they're looking for relief right now. People who feel like they're mid-fall, and don't want to hit pavement as hard as it feels like they're about to. And I'll tell you something. The people in the second category often show up like boomerangs. When it gets too rough, when they feel like they're in over their heads, when they feel like they are about to drown. Once they feel like the fall has been cushioned and they can pick themselves up, they often disappear or they stop putting an effort until it happens again. And I want to take a moment and ask you to consider... Which of these groups do you think has a better long-term outlook? The one who's consistently showing up and working on areas of growth? Or the one who seems fine and shows up every so often in a crisis? Truth be told, I'd say that probably all of us recognize at least a little bit of the second one in ourselves, even when we're doing the consistent work. Because life and business throw us curveballs. What works today often doesn't cut it six months from now, and less so in a decade. I know it because I've seen it. And I see the tendency so often, wanting to master something and never have to think about it or spend time, energy, and resources on it again. I see it when people figure out a problem and move forward. I see it when people get a handle on themselves or the situation and then move on without another thought. I see it happen when people resist looking at their recent or long-term challenges. I hear it all the time in the way people talk. I don't want to talk about last week. It was a disaster. I just want to put it behind me. I want to let go and move on. It leads to the bottling up effect. 
At first, bottling up was really used to describe when people get mad or a process of them getting mad. For people who held it down, they ignored it, they didn't want to express it or respond to their internal reactions, whether that's frustration or disappointment, annoyance or anger, trying to hold it all in just accumulated and caused a cycle of repression and explosion that can be unpredictable but consistent and then can also be highly damaging to relationships and the person's own physical, mental, and emotional health, that kind of bottling it up. You see, there's a lot more research on the topic now, but the thing is the research doesn't make it immediately easy to see a solution. For example, just expressing or acting aggressively when frustrated or angry doesn't necessarily resolve the anger or solve the problem. It can actually lead to more aggressive or even violent behavior. In fact, there was a piece of research they did. They did this with kids and they also did it with adults where they had them go into a room and then punch one of these, uh, I think it was a clown doll. And then they had them get into a conversation or talk about something that was frustrating and then gave them an option to go into a room and either play with a toy or talk to someone or to hit the clown doll again. And what they often did was they went back and they hit the clown doll again. And sometimes that showed up even repeatedly, even when they weren't in the moment as frustrated. On the other hand, according to research, just trying to hold it in and suppress it also has a lot of negative outcomes. And complicating the issue is that there's research on what's called frustration tolerance that shows that it's sometimes instrumental to be able to act normally and continue pursuing our goals and daily activities, even when we're frustrated or mad. Frustration tolerance has to do with being able to tolerate, accept, and experience frustration in a way, and at the same time to keep doing or persisting in what it is that we're doing. So of course, it's really confusing and hard to make sense of. What are you supposed to feel, think, and do when you're getting frustrated, annoyed, and mad? On top of all of that, When there's a blow-up, it's often followed immediately with a bunch of other reactions, things like guilt, embarrassment, shame, or perhaps, if not those, then maybe there's judgment or even righteous indignation. They deserved it, the idiotic jerks. That kind of cycle shows up for a lot more reactions than just anger, like being thrown into a crisis that led to the call. But for now, I'm going to stick with the anger and then come back to this point. Because this is a pattern. It's a way of being, of thinking, of feeling, of reacting to those thoughts and feelings that plays over and over like a vinyl record. A broken record. Some people try to ignore it. Some people try to release it. Some people try to manage it. Some try to get rid of it by dumping it on others. They judge, criticize, or blame people to justify themselves and place responsibility elsewhere. As it turns out, those responses, by and large, are ineffective. Which brings us back to the core of the issue, your Achilles heel. Now pay attention because this is where I uncover the hidden costs of that pattern. When issues show up repeatedly, as long as you're just trying to move on, you're missing the key that will unlock how to really handle it. Research shows that bottling up and not expressing our emotions has serious negative consequences. Everything from physical health to relationships to the productivity and engagement of teams and consequently bottom line revenue in business 
Worse yet is trying to squash and suppress your reactions to prevent them from happening in the first place. When the thought or physical sensations that signify a reaction show up, if you try to use logic, distraction, or some other thought process to get rid of them, it has the same or worse consequences. Now here's the key. Concealing and crushing your reactions doesn't help you. It hinders you. Curiosity about your reactions can help you because you can harness them. So that's your Achilles heel. And to be fair, why wouldn't you be that way? Most of us learned from our mentors, our teachers, our parents, and our friends to be emotion judgers, emotion jurors, emotion rejectors, or emotion executioners. And I'm going to break that down and kind of explain it for you. Imagine if emotions were all divided into two opposite categories. Either they were the biggest deal in the world, or they were no big deal whatsoever. If it's a huge deal, then the influence that emotions exert is so strong that we feel heaven and earth should recreate themselves in the image of what our feelings, our emotion system is telling us is wrong and needs to be corrected, which creates a bit of a problem because our feelings can't shape reality that way. So when we see, hear, or learn about how the world ought to be, it leads to trying to push the world and other people into line with how we feel it should be. That's what I call an emotion judger, determining and deciding that your important reaction, emotion, or feeling is the determinant of how your people, business, or the world are supposed to act. The flip side of that is when others or the world refuses to get in line, you're left with an ideal that's out of sync with reality, which can in turn lead to thinking and talking about the world or the person as unjust. Or they are, you can insert whatever judgment here, toxic, terrible, awful, undeserving, less than human, no good, very bad people are doing really horrible things. That's an emotion juror doling out the verdict and enforcing it with social and verbal judgments when a person or the world doesn't shape itself exactly as we envision in response to a feeling. Both the emotion judger and the emotion juror present significant problems because emotions are viewed as either tools or sources of influence to shape, change, or judge others and the world which is especially problematic because in any relationship, whether it's personal, business, or a leader with their team, when the emotions of one person force or change how others must behave, it can create really problematic conditions. If you ever worked with a leader whose anger, worry, or desire necessitated that those under their leadership act in accordance with what they're feeling in the moment, I think you'll get the point here. If you've ever been that leader, you may know what it's like to see people avoid you or have increasing or consistently high churn rate at your company. It can be incredibly stifling and also very dangerous. Now, the second category is equally problematic because whatever you're feeling, if your emotion is not a big deal, 
then you're just being too sensitive. You need to toughen up. Your reaction is not only unjustified, it's useless. This is what I call the emotion rejector, invalidating that emotions have a use or a purpose, pushing them aside and expecting you to act and react as if they simply don't exist. Or worse, viewing emotions as weakness, as a liability, as though it gets in the way of you doing what you need to do. It's the chink in your armor, and that means other people can take advantage of it and possibly even get leverage or power over you by using the expressed emotion. You're showing what you're feeling or what you are feeling internally. I call that the emotion executioner, seeing emotion as something weak that is actively undermining your thoughts and actions. So it's better to cut off as much as possible from your thinking, decision-making, and action-taking process, which also creates a bit of a problem. Both the emotion rejector and the emotion executioner don't expect emotions to positively affect the outer world, but they view emotions as either unhelpful or damaging to the inner experience and process, and therefore a point of weakness that others can leverage against you. Ultimately, whether you see in yourself moments of being an emotion judger, an emotion juror, an emotion rejector, or an emotion executioner, That view sees emotion as either fueling futile energy and resources, trying to get people or the world around you to change, or as impeding and harming your internal self. If you've seen or experienced someone telling you that you shouldn't have or show the emotion you're experiencing, this might be familiar to you. In companies that routinely do this, it leads to a culture where people feel increasingly restricted and unable to be, express, or show themselves. All of that amounts to wasting lots and lots of energy, blaming emotions for the process, which is often followed by spending lots of energy trying not to allow yourself to have or react when your emotion system lights up. There's no way to harness your reactions and your emotions powerfully under any of those conditions. And those are by far the most common patterns that I've seen with people and their emotion systems. I see them as broken records because none of them are useful. And I can already imagine and hear your questions and objections in my mind. But if it's not useful, then how can your reactions, your emotions, or even your feelings be useful? Aren't they a relic of an evolutionarily inferior brain? Isn't the logical, cognitive brain superior? In other words, isn't it basically true that emotions tend to get in the way? And I want to get back to some concrete examples of how this shows up as your Achilles heel, and then I'll briefly address those really important questions. In fact, here's how it can show up in ways that may sound familiar and seem to really fit along the lines of the objections, the questions that I was just talking about. Fear holds you back from taking action. Perfectionism makes you afraid of doing something imperfectly, so then you end up not doing it. Exhaustion prevents you from staying focused and being productive. Stress gets in the way of getting things done, even day to day. Overwhelm gets in the way of growing, scaling, and getting anything done at all. What a pile to tackle. And it really is. What I'm about to say will drastically change how you think 
if you really take the time and put in the effort to make the paradigm shift. But don't expect that to happen all at once or just overnight. So here it is. Those reactions are not the problem. They are the messengers. Fear tells you there's danger. Perfectionism tells you there's a cost to getting something wrong. Exhaustion tells you that you're low on resources and need a break or some fuel. Stress tells you that there's stuff that really needs to get done. Overwhelm tells you that your load is greater than your limit. Each of those gives you data. They try to draw your attention and direct you. They even drive you, sometimes by hitting the gas, sometimes by slamming the brakes. There's an underlying problem. Without those reactions, would there be less danger or no need for refueling and recharging? Without stress pushing you to get things done, would that change what needs to get done? Or would it change how overloaded you are? No, emotions aren't the problem. They're not your Achilles heel. It's how you think about and respond when they show up. It's when you ignore them that you get into trouble. It's what you do when the discomfort shows up that makes the difference. Now, to be really clear, of course, just because someone's experiencing fear, that doesn't mean that there is always danger to the point of being their lives being threatened. At the same time, that doesn't mean that they're not perceiving or experiencing some possibility of danger. Some of what's really important to understand is how to work with and understand that an emotion system doesn't exactly reflect reality, but it is trying to give me information. It draws on data, both from the past and the present, and it tries to direct me and then drive me. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be 100% accurate or perfect, but ignoring it causes a lot more or can lead to a lot more missing out on things. As I mentioned previously, perhaps even blind spots that could be really getting in the way. Sometimes it's when we don't have the information that it is really potentially harmful. So stop trying to work around your emotion system and start listening to it. Oh, and my wonderful client, I walked right into her emotions with her, the messages they were sending her, what she needed, and what she wasn't getting. I didn't have the answers about what to do, but I helped her see what she needed so that she could figure out the best way to address it. The result? She made a decision, made one of the toughest calls she had to make, and doubled the size of her business. So today... I talked about patterns that get in the way of entrepreneurs and business leaders. I have seen so many of them, and I shared one set of invisible patterns that really get in the way. They have been the Achilles heel to many entrepreneurs and business leaders, so much so that I labeled them. I talked about the emotion judge, emotion juror, emotion rejecter, and emotion executioner, how each one holds unhelpful beliefs about feelings and the consequences of holding those beliefs in terms of everyday interactions in business and life. I showed you what you need to start turning that around. 
So get going. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 